0: You've read or heard or preached the scripture this week, now what? Join me, Pastor Carissa, and my colleague, Pastor Allen as we explore the spaces between the Sundays in our podcast, Soft Idolatry.
1: Welcome to Soft Idolatry, Season 6, Episode 10. Carissa, how's it going?
0: It's gone pretty great. I was on retreat this past weekend, and it was a beautiful, warm fall weekend with all the colors, and it was... Just a really uh, needed balm for the soul for me. How about you? Uh,
1: yeah, I'm doing okay. Um, my my church paid off its mortgage last week. Whoop whoop. Yeah, that's uh, that's a big deal. So um, yeah, I, I'm I'm pretty good. We are um, wrestling with our boiler. Which of course, always <laughs> a fun like, thing to do. It's uh, like when we, you pay
0: off the car and the clutch drops out and you <laughs> pay off the church like and that. the boiler blows up
1: pretty much. I mean, our, our boiler <laughs> is like 55 years old. So five years past its normal lifespan. And uh, we found a contractor that we really like to do the work and he can't get all the parts.
0: Of course, of course. So
1: uh, yeah, so we, we, we thought we had this, narrow window of opportunity to start the work right now. And we don't.
0: Yeah. You know, I've been asked a couple times recently, now that I've settled into my new position a bit, uh, do you miss the parish? And my answer has been, right? My answer has been an emphatic, no, not that there's not people I miss right but um you know there's a lot of things about it i don't miss and the whole is the boiler gonna last (laughs) the winter game of chicken uh not something i miss (laughs) so yeah
1: yeah the managing the anxieties of an entire congregation i am sure is something you do not miss
0: not a bit and uh, for anyone who wants to know how we really feel about being the non-anxious presence we'll refer you back a couple episodes (laughs) to when we actually (laughs) talked about that a bit yeah yeah.
1: Indeed, indeed. So uh, I'll, I'll start with the Hanukkah question for you. Oh, dear. What makes this podcast different from every other podcast we've had?
0: We have a Methodist here?
1: We have a Methodist here.
0: <laughs> Wait, why is that a Hanukkah question? Did I miss a reference to I'm something? I'm sorry,
1: I, I screwed that up. That's a Passover reference, isn't it? It's a... Or is it Hanukkah? Wait, why is why is this night different than every other night of the year? <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, well, all that to say, uh, we do we have a guest here today who happens to be a Methodist. I don't know where Alan was going with that, but I'm just going to like ask our guest to introduce himself and maybe we'll redeem it at some point here.
2: Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm pondering on what reference set would make sense of now. Now, now you're going to have me stuck. You can ask me other questions. What I'm going to think about is what was the reference to?
1: Uh, it's a Passover Seder reference. It, I got, I got okay. It. okay. Seder meal. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good deal.
2: Uh, yeah. So uh, my name is Jacob Judy and I'm, uh I see, they said uh United Methodist. Uh, I've been in the United Methodist church. Uh, well, it's a, I was in as a child. I was raised United Methodist, um, and then at 19, I started pastoring in a uh, Brethren Church, a Grace Brethren Church. Um, while there, I took on a, uh, another, an independent Christian church. So I was pastoring two churches, uh, working a full-time job at Walmart until about seven years ago, uh, when I felt God saying, hey, I don't have your full attention, which, uh, which pretty much converted into come home for a long time. I mean, that's the, that was what resonated in my head. Uh, then after a year's worth of discernment with the churches I was in, my wife, uh, we we landed on that. Meant come back to the United Methodist Church, which started this journey into, uh, well, into the whole process that takes roughly six to seven years to be ordained in the United Methodist Church. So, uh, being in the church now, uh, going back to school, uh, getting my uh, master's of divinity from Pittsburgh Theological Seminary. Um, that was great. It was a, a very uh, informal time for me. Um, uh, shaped me, uh, led me through a lot of things so much. So that two and a half years in, I felt God calling me to say, Hey, you're gonna go on and get a, a doctorate. I, I protested, that never works out well. Um, so now, what about a year and a half left of the doctorate program? I hope fingers crossed all things go well. Um, And recently appointed to a new, uh, a new location, new ministering location in uh, West Alexandria, PA, just in in July. From I was down near Morgantown uh, prior to coming here. So after seven years there, uh, I've been appointed here. Really enjoying
0: it. Yeah, Jake and I have the. I was going to say we have the shared uh, mayhem of having transitioned calls in the middle of a doctorate program.
1: Yeah that mm-hmm. that is crazy. Welcome back to Almost Civilization. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Washington County Almost Civilization. Um I I grew up in Washington so I am intimately familiar with uh with the whole area. So good yeah. for you. Good for uh good for a new call, a new location and uh yeah, so <laughs> fun time to do transition, huh?
2: Oh my. Well, if you're not transitioning during this period at some point in some way, I think we're, we're missing out
1: or we're living <laughs> in a bubble or some, something. I'll go with the bubble part. Okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. So um, speaking of boilers blowing up, I guess we didn't blow up any boilers yet, but uh, you know, we're talking about the woes of church buildings and things like that. One of the things that we're, we're contemplating right now. And we've, we've contemplated this with a few different folks is what would happen if we had to start over from scratch entirely. And we, we sort of have to do that right now, um, not just in churches, but in other ministries as well, having put everything on hold for COVID for so long. And um, now we are trying to figure out what this new season of living alongside of COVID as we battle it, you know, what does that look like? Um, so we've been wondering, what if we blew up the church and started from scratch? You
2: know, it's it's funny you say that. I uh, so in my last appointment, we were we, we encountered this problem. So I pastored a, on a three church charge, uh, so three churches in the one appointment, uh, and and it was always it always felt like a battle uh, between uh, you know congregations. Where where are we going to have this event? Where are we going to have that event? How are we going to um, you know, got a sense of who we are as one church, right? One uh, United Methodist church, uh, but three separate locations. And I've had a parishioner say to me within that, you know what would be the best thing to happen to this church is if all the buildings burnt down." <laughs> yep. Um, and I, I sat with that for a bit uh, and trying to bring in what, what is the distraction? What is the, the issue there? So yeah, the the pandemic. It, it's as if I've been narrating it here as somebody hit a reset button for us. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I the call that the appointment that I was uh, given at this juncture, this church was the completion of the building was March of twenty
0: twenty one. Right.
2: So they have left their old building, they sold it, and then they came here and they hadn't had a full worship service in here until I started on July 1st. Um, people still hadn't started coming back. So uh, yeah, they it was really it was a brand new start, like a, like a new church start, uh, but with a great base of uh, you know, uh, um, membership and dedication from people who w- were committed to coming. And it's not going find anybody per se. They already here. So it's been good.
0: Uh. What do you think like are the differences from this kind of starting over so because you really are then sort of starting over alongside a congregation right now a new pastor, new building, just came back after the pandemic. what are some of the things that you hope to help them shape differently for their community in this season than maybe they have in the past?
2: Yeah, um, yeah. So, man, the learning curve is is huge when you come into a new place that already has traditions and has ways of doing things. And, and I spend most of my time learning, like observing and, and trying to take in. Okay, how how do we narrate this? You know, uh, at, at some points I feel I feel like I'm, I'm eavesdropping on uh, you know, an entire personality that's already been formed that I know nothing about. That I'm hoping I don't hear certain things that. Uh, it It is uh, been tough, but I have been taking a more proactive approach in this setting, at this time, to begin directing thoughts, uh, wording, and, and ministries towards something more holistic, something more intentional. Something that's a lot less, this is what we've always done, and something that begins with the question, what have we always done? And then to say... What do we have? What are we going to keep doing that? Uh, should we keep doing that? What what are we missing? Um, who who do we need to be? As I kept telling you, you, you get to form a brand new identity within this new building, this new era. Uh, so you need to do that intentionally. Don't let it happen to you. Right. More along the lines of, let's work this out together uh, through conversation, intentional conversation, which is, Not the meeting after the meeting, but the actual meeting, right? (laughs) The ones you actually come and plan for. Um, So I've been doing a lot of talking about community. And what does that look like? Who who are we connected with? Who are the other churches in town? Uh, What are the other businesses in town? Who are the other leaders? What are we, how do we talk about them? There's so much more to encompass responsibility wise, I think. To be faithful as a church politics need to be as much as people don't like to talk about it or, or they just like to talk about their side just not any other side but it needs to be considered not not maybe not the uh, the broader spectrum but what about local politics what about those who are locally in office who are going to be running for office uh in a place like this it's a small town everybody knows everybody everyone knows everyone else's business um how do we talk well, uh, speak well? I, I often begin with, all right, God, in this space, we're going to ask that we hear and speak with grace, all right? Uh, allowing that space. Um, yeah. Uh, actually, it was uh, Dr. Vasson. who you just mentioned not too long ago, who said, try to introduce within the, uh, the space, right, within the congregation, this hermeneutic of charity.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, and she impressed yeah. us upon us in the classroom.
1: This hermeneutic of charity. Just don't use the word hermeneutic in front of your congregation.
0: <laughs> there it, are some that will giggle.
1: <laughs>
2: it, it's funny that you say that. Um, uh, I, actually, one of the first things that we did when they asked me, because they asked me this question uh, similar, they said, "If you could structure church in any way that you wanted to, what how would it look? What would it look like to you?" And I said, "Oh my, oh my goodness!" <laughs> uh, uh, so, so I burn up some of that charity early on uh, by eliminating an eight thirty service uh, and instituting a, a an adult and children's Sunday school that they haven't had for fifteen plus years, uh, and two weekly Bible studies um, where we study words like hermeneutic, when reconciliation, and like a focus on education addressing biblical literacy uh that that has opened up room i think to start the reflective uh the introspective process that needs to happen
1: are are you are you saying that you need to establish common ground and you're establishing common ground by going back to the text
2: well what i'm saying is that we need to establish common language um Common ground is not always necessary if common language can be be agreed upon, right? Because we can speak from different spaces as long as we understand the words that we're saying. Mm. And I I found that to be one of the most difficult uh, hurdles to get over is when we don't want to learn a common language, right? So I think scripture provides us a common language. Uh, So when we study it and we talk about the overall themes uh, and, you know, because that has brought us there, right? So that that's a that, that question for me has become instrumental in almost every setting. Why are you here, right? Because you don't have to be here. No one made you come here. You're, you're here. You've chosen. For what purpose? For what reason? That begins to reflect the process, but we share language within that uh, so that we can articulate it in a way that we all under, understand it, or, or at least we can try to. Yeah. That's something
0: it- that... You go ahead, Alan. I've been talking a lot today.
1: No, that's fine. I was, I was going to say, have you found your other congregations to be lacking in common language? Um, previous setting? Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Yeah, so
2: I'm going to – I'm purposely not going to generalize the statement, right? So there's always individuals within the congregations that share that common language. Uh, And there are those that maybe I would find it to be difficult to discern whether or not they share the language and choose not to use it or whether or not they (laughs) share the language or don't know the language, uh, and don't desire to know the language. Right. So there's a lot of discernment there that goes on. Uh, And one of the characteristics that uh, may not exist so much in the Presbyterian setting that does in the Methodist setting is that. There have been situations where if they don't share your language, they know all they have to do is outlast you. Yes. Right? That I'm going to be moved at some point so they can just buckle down until I'm out and then they'll try again with the next pastor. Um, you know, that, Yeah. So they didn't have to learn it. Right. They don't have to show up.
0: That was um, and Alan, you know this well because you were one of the people that got to hear all of my um, bemoaning it. Although I may have shared this with you as well, Jake, um, that you know that was one of the big problems I really struggled with last summer when all of the um, Black Lives Matter uh, rallies and and um, things were happening uh, because I was in a congregation who the language that they used the terms that i was using were bad language in essentially right they were dirty words um you know white privilege has a different meaning for certain groups than it does for others and the term black lives matter is a trigger in one way for some groups and something comforting to others and and one of the things that was helpful was was Sitting down and having conversations about—we're not necessarily talking about different problems. We're just using a different set of language that—that that is upsetting. And if we can agree on some terminology, maybe we can come to some civilized sort of conversation about these things. And I know that was that was helpful moment for me in that congregation and figuring out how we could be using the same language to have discussions about what really is or isn't, um, an appropriate thing for a church to be doing. And we had a lot more in common than we realized once we were able to have, share that language. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's interesting when establishing language, um, that posture becomes instrumental, uh, you know, the way that we carry ourselves into a space, uh, and, and what that's How that space uh, ultimately shapes how language is received. Um, As soon as you said that, right, so what the Black Lives Matter uh, movement and discussing that in a uh, very conservative area Mm -hmm. uh, and bringing up uh, the need to understand it, the space that we were in was there was like a home space, right? So there were already expectations set for how language was understood within the space. And the way that I carried Mm -hmm. myself into that situation uh, also ultimately helps either to allow things to be heard well right, or or not. So I didn't realize how much of that needs to be intentional until Mm -hmm. the pandemic hit. Right. And then it was like, wow, man, there's so much that we have to take into account. Um, to change culture. Uh, how do we affect it? How do we how do we live into it well? So I, I think, right, if we had to start over from scratch, my my first step would be looking at church culture, right? Because we're we're countercultural, uh, inherently. And, and then to say, not and not countercultural to a fault, like I don't look at culture and go, okay, they're doing all this, so we have to do the exact opposite, right? <laughs> Which is the way that some people would interpret that, but rather uh, open up a space where there's going to be multitudes of viewpoints able to exist because of the, the common um, identity that we have in, in Christ. Um, and we may articulate that differently, but let's understand how we do that. Let's let's not just go off the cuff. So that, that to me is where we start rebuilding. Right? We start rebuilding by intentionally, not, not just letting it press in upon us, but actively helping that method alone.
1: What are some of the steps that you have taken to intentionally move that process forward?
2: Yeah. Um, so I began this in the last appointment I was in and really in connection with what I've been studying for my, uh, for the doctorate. So, um, the, the thrust of it, and I can't do everything, obviously what I, what I want. So I want to, I want a very coherent and intentional process to train pastors in reconciliation processes. Like we are, we're looked at for that and people come to us. And I think about the intentional training I have on that through my first steps. I mean, the, the no training that I received um, to not be able to handle it. So the beginning part of that has come into what I understand to be incarnational hospitality. Uh, and starting that as the thrust of how we create culture and how we hold space, so that that basically, well, in a nutshell, uh, is demonstrated by God through Christ. Right? Christ as the incarnation, who came to be with us, right, dependent upon us. Uh, you know, Mary and Joseph and friends and Mary and Martha and being fed and being housed and. Uh, This relational, very relational aspect of uh, sitting uh, and talking and seeking out the marginalized and those seeking him out to respond in a way that's open. But also being able to see where, uh, where we couldn't be for ourselves. So Christ stands in the gap for us. Right. So it's a two part incarnational hospitality is is knowing how to be with and for others. I I try to articulate that in teaching, uh, in sermons, uh, in posture, right, to take time to sit, to listen. Uh, But that idea of inviting people into a space so that you can be with them uh, in a way that, that values them. So that we might actually learn how we can be for them when it's necessary not to just say i know what you need let me give it to you but to say i'm going to seek relationship and when the time comes if i if i know you well enough i'll know when it's time to be for you um and and vice versa to be open enough to say you know i i need you to be for me in this time so intentionally doing that through conversation just the way i carry myself words that i use um it's been, it's been good.
0: Well, I think that that, um, that connects to the idea of language, right? Because if you um, really want to get to know another person, you need to learn not just their actual, like audible language, right? Um, How to, you know, the same terminology and all that stuff, but you also have to learn the language of their, the culture they're from the language of that, that church, the language of their tradition, um, get to know that, you know, um, the cultural language of say, you know, an AME Zion church is going to be very different than the language of, a rural, primarily white Methodist church. And so there's that aspect of the, the learning one another's language too, so that we can communicate. So like you said, we can know when somebody needs us to stand for them. Um, and not just at them or in their name, right? right? But but truly for them and with them, yeah. Well, yeah. it seems too
1: that you, um, that also gives you a platform to model that behavior for your congregation, because they are certainly going to encounter, they are likely going to encounter people who walk in who don't know any of their language, yeah, that's the hope at least, right? I uh, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I I just uh I, I had a baptism on Sunday and uh you know and and had had a couple that just did not know much of the language uh about all of this. And uh it was it was a, a delicate situation for other reasons, but you know, there was just like uh, there was just so much basic information to communicate, and it it seemed like a first time for both of them. Uh, and you know, Dad was like fifty years old, so hmm. uh, you know you would you would think that the instruction had been done, but it hasn't. And I think that a lot of our congregants are so used to being in community only with other people who already speak the same language that they don't understand that there's a problem with that mode of being. Yeah,
2: uh, absolutely. Right. And and not only not understand, uh, but not, they don't believe it's necessary. Right, uh, right? It, it's, not, mm-hmm. it's not even a necessary part for, of their existence, uh, which uh, is uh, to to try to relay the importance of uh, the diversity, right? Uh, which I think Paul does adequately, uh, but is often just ignored uh, about the different parts of the body and the way they work. And but but we see that as yeah, as long as that part of the body looks like me and talks like me and uh, you know wants the same things that I want then then that's fine not seeing that that's that's not, that's not the way that that works um
1: well and, and i think I need. yeah and, and i think that comes back to our original contention that this is an idolatry that we're not aware of uh, mm-hmm. that the, the idol is our the the unwitting idol is the language around how we are in community with one another and uh we worship this idol by not learning new languages yeah uh
2: yeah the the idol talk so i i also teach at waynesburg university and i'm teaching a course on prophets uh right now and the the students at this point know that when i uh ask okay so what seems to be the chief issue that the israelites are dealing with they just all yell idol idolatry right this is, this is what they're doing um the the hard transition, I think, in today's uh, again in today's language, is when we say idol, uh, we we tend to think that it's this tangible, uh, holdable thing. I, I, you know, I, I pondered on this for a while about you know the, the church building, right? So that's an obvious one that I think winds up with that. But but even more than that, to what we're discussing in, in quite a bit is church activity. Mm-hmm. It's, activity is an idol. It, it, But the activity is also the uh, mode by which we don't have to think about why it's necessary to have variety, right? Because I can just do this that I've always done. And as long as I'm doing it, I feel productive. And I don't have to stop and think about why this isn't right anymore. Uh, Why at one time, maybe, but not now, if, if ever. So to slow down. and i'm just as guilty as anybody else whenever i I look at all the things that are on my plate to say slow down just a second as i ran here from getting my kids off the bus and you know uh, just jumping in from here to the next but what are we doing why are we doing it we don't have to do the same thing year in and year out it can be different it can be better right and that's that's something that I've, I've latched on to coming out of pandemics, right? But the church is broken. I think the pandemic revealed this to us. We're, we're, we're broken. Um, and, and if I heard one more person say, well, I just can't wait to get back to normal. I was going to lose my mind and say, no, nor- normal is broken. Let's do better. Yes. Uh, but that process requires that we slow down. Don't jump back into the same things that you were doing. Let's examine who we are, what we can do, what it means to be in relationship with community, uh, Right with each other. Let's examine those relationships, and let's let's move from there slowly out of the gate. Yeah,
0: I really hope if there is one takeaway, dear listeners, from this series, Jake is now the fourth guest that we've had come on, and every single beloved pastor who has come on this podcast with us over this past um, little series here. said something along these lines we cannot go back to pre-covid because the church is broken we must be intentional about the things that we are doing we need to learn something from this so anyone out there who's not a pastor that's listening what i want you to hear is it's not just your pastor telling you this right it's everybody's pastor telling them this and dear Beloved pastors who are out there listening, hear this. You are not alone, sisters and brothers. We are all here. Um, you know, with it. you can't see the video as you're listening to this, but Alan and I were nodding heartily as, as Jake was talking because you're preaching to the choir, brother. Um, we are right there with you on it. And so pastors, you're not alone. Congregations, you're not alone. All all of your pastors are telling you this: that we need to do something new. We need to be something new and different, and something renewed at the end of this. Yeah,
2: yeah. I uh, had uh, someone put it very plainly. Uh, right. So the knocks not just on the congregations. Uh, yeah. That that the uh, what was revealed to this individual as they were going through the pandemic and leadership role was that they were playing pastor
0: uh, uh, instead yeah. of being.
2: Uh, and, and that's, that's what I, people may think it was poor timing, right? Or bad luck to be in the middle of a doctoral program in the midst of a pandemic. <laughs> um, it is. But it, but it has afforded me a, a lens and resources and people to examine what I was doing
0: hmm. uh,
2: in the work of this kingdom and, and to say, I need to do it differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, I need to do it better and I, I may not have known that otherwise uh, so right this
1: yeah.
2: as bad as it has been uh,
1: boy if, if only works. we had a big Greek word to describe this process <laughs> <laughs> metanoia anyone
0: <laughs> oh, there goes Alan with his giant words are you pleased <laughs> with yourself my friend <laughs>
1: oh, you know me i'm I'm just about always pleased You're with myself. Right.
0: You just come smug and stay that way. It's fine. that's why we love you
1: <laughs> that and the scotch
0: that and the scotch he has a really great taste in scotch, yeah, that is not true or not false. that is absolutely true um yeah, but we shouldn't talk about that in front of our Methodist friend. hey,. hey yeah <laughs> <right>. <laughs> Uh, you know what they say about Presbyterians, don't you? A lot? Where you, Well, there's a lot, yeah. Uh, where you find four, you'll find a fifth.
2: Ah, uh, okay. Or um, in,
0: in the case of Alan and I, where you find two, you'll find a fifth.
1: Where, where, <laughs> where, wherever two are gathered in his name, you will find a fifth. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, so anyway, um, things are unraveling rapidly. Um, any last... last thoughts that that either of you dear souls would like to share
2: yeah um, yeah, thanks for the invite i mean i I thoroughly enjoy these kinds of conversations uh and ways in which we can connect right because the the uh, a couple years ago this wouldn't have been on my radar to do a podcast that people will listen to and and So that has become a mode of uh, a mode Jake, of getting
1: information out in real ways. Jake, there's no guarantee that people are actually listening.
0: <laughs> we wow, have that's... a few. <laughs> you,
2: you forget that I pastor a church. Uh, the <laughs> same thing applies. Uh, <laughs> but...
0: Yep, that's sort of the the gig, isn't it? Like you say a lot of things that you hope somebody's listening to, and eventually somebody might listen to it. Um, and that's, you know, that's what we're here for. Yeah.
2: Right. Right. Amen. Well, if
1: we start a new podcast, we'll call it mustard seeds.
0: Oh, There you go. Yeah. Not soft mustard. (laughs) Idolatrous seeds, seeds of idolatry. We could, there's a lot of play on words we could do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think maybe we should probably pray and get out of here before things get weirder. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I think that's an excellent idea. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for the time and space to make connections. We realize that you work through people and through relationship. We ask that you continue to bless us with relationship, to model relationship, to engage in relationship and Share your love and your Holy Spirit through all of the relationships that we create and forge and nurture and sustain. We ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Amen.
0: Thanks for joining us on Soft Idolatry. For show notes and more information, check out our website at softidolatry.com. To send us questions or comments, you can email us at info at softidolatry.com. And if you'd like to help support this podcast, please become a patron at www.patreon.com slash softidolatry. That's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.